Our scripture reading today is from Genesis 28, 10 through 22. I'll be reading from the ESV version. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran, and he came to a certain place and stayed there at night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of that place, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west, to the east, and to the north, and to the south. And in you, all your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go, and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob woke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! There is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at the first. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if the Lord will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, which I have set up for a pillar, shall be at God's house. And all that you give me, I will give you a full tenth to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Sharon. You may be seated. Well, good morning, everyone, and let me extend my own welcome to you to Disciples Church. I feel like you've been welcomed a lot, but let me welcome you on my own. Just to let you know it's serious, we really are welcoming you. (laughs) Um, We are really glad that you have joined us in worship today. My name is Dave Hahn, and I am one of the pastors here at Disciples Church, and it is my privilege to be able to open God's Word with and for you this morning. According to sleep experts, each of us dream between four to six times in a night for an average of two hours of total dream time. Personally, I don't remember the majority of my dreams. They're usually filled with nonsense that's not really worth remembering, but that is not the case with everyone. In 2010, I had the privilege of going on a mission trip to Cape Town, South Africa as a videographer. I went there to help tell stories of the Lausanne Conference and of those who had attended. The Lausanne Conference ultimately invites um, Christian leaders from literally everywhere in the world. Almost every country is represented. Wherever there is a Christian, that country is represented. And so the people and the languages and the cultures and the stories of faith in Christ were incredibly different. And their faith in Jesus was sometimes really the only thing that they had in common. 
What amazed me the most about the people that I got the chance to talk to were the various ways in which they came to know, love, and find faith in Christ. Ways that are very, very different than the way that you and I have come to know Christ. And for many of those that I met, especially those from the Middle East, God used dreams. A dream where Jesus had appeared to them and spoke to them in such a clear and a vivid way that they left their families, they left the faith of their families and everything else behind to surrender themselves to Christ. It is rare to find a follower of Christ in the West with a story of Jesus appearing to them in a dream, likely because we as a culture don't really ascribe much meaning to our dreams. But in other cultures, dreams are very common, a very common occurrence and a manner through which God brings them to faith in His Son, Jesus Christ, and they learn what it is that God would have them do. God uses dreams powerfully in other people and places. So one of the big takeaways for me in my time in Cape Town is this. While there is only one road that leads to God, there is no road that God won't go down in His loving pursuit of us to bring us to saving faith in Him. There is only one road that leads to God, but there is no road that God won't go down to get those who belong to Him or to reveal truth to them or to bring about His perfect will. God is not limited. And that, my friends, is where today's passage about a portion of the life of Jacob begins. So last week, we left off near the end of Genesis 27 with Esau begging his father Isaac for a blessing similar to that of his brother Jacob, and incredibly despondent that Jacob had tricked him out of his blessing and his birthright, if you remember. So let's pick up the story in Genesis 27:41 to kind of catch us up to where we are today. So Genesis 27:41 reads, Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. But the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to Laban, my brother in Haran, and stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you, and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereft of you both in one day? And then continue in Genesis 28, verse 1. Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him. You must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise, go to Padan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. So as we head into today's passage, understand why Jacob is leaving Beersheba and what his parents intended for him 
as he went, even as we see God meet him along the way for a purpose that is actually far greater than escaping his brother or finding a wife as his parents intended. Because sometimes, my friends, we think that the places that we go and the people that we encounter have one purpose, but God has something far greater in mind. Let's look again at verses 10 through 12 of today's passage. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran, and he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And geographically, Haran is east of Beersheba, and it is near the place where Abraham, his grandfather, and Rebekah, Jacob's mother, were from. And in that place, on that night, Jacob had a dream. Now, we often see God using dreams to speak to people in Scripture. There have been three times alone in just the last couple chapters of Genesis because, again, these people ascribed meaning to dreams in a way that others did not necessarily do so. And as Jacob laid down to sleep, he used a stone for his pillow. And do you know why? Because he literally had nothing else to lay his head on. Nobody chooses to sleep on a rock if you have anything else. Though Jacob had been given the blessing of the firstborn by his father Isaac, all he had was a stone to sleep on. Now, all of this must have seemed like a far cry from what he had expected from Isaac's blessing and from the birthright that he ultimately took from Esau. And so it got me thinking, how often do we find ourselves doubting the love and the goodness of God because of the circumstances that we find ourselves in? And very likely, that is exactly where Jacob found himself in this time and in this place. There is no way that this is where he would have expected to be. And because Jacob was alone and because he was in a foreign land with only a rock for a pillow to sleep on, he would have likely needed a word from God and a sense of assurance from him. And so God gave Jacob a dream of a ladder set upon the earth and ascending to heaven. Now some translations actually use the word stairway or staircase instead of the word ladder in verse 12. And there are good reasons for that, none of which have to do with the popular Led Zeppelin song. Tom, why don't you go ahead and play a little? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Um, But so as to avoid confusion, we are going to stick with the word ladder, which is in our ESV translation. And if you're interested in knowing more about the stairway and ladder word choice, you can come up after service and we can talk about it. But the significance of the latter is this. God used it as a sign unto Jacob that he was with him. He used it as a sign unto Jacob to say unto him, I am with you. And is that not what we long for? Is that not what mankind longs for? 
Are there not places in your life that would feel very different if you believed and if you knew that God was with you? That we had the intimate presence of God and we had unfettered access to Him because those things are true. Amen. Do we know that we worship a a God who is all-powerful, all-present, and all-loving? And the latter in Jacob's dream lets us know that there is, in fact, a way unto God when there ought not be, even as it makes it clear that God is with us. So not only do we have a way unto God, but we have been shown that God is with us. Did you notice that the angels ascended and descended between that ladder from earth unto heaven? That's the significance of that. And so my friends, believer or unbeliever alike, be encouraged. We have not been created by, nor do we worship a God who set things into motion and walked away. We do not serve a God who has closed himself off to or is inaccessible to the most treasured part of his creation, mankind, you and me. Even if our circumstances tell us otherwise. Rather, as we first saw in the early chapters of Genesis, we have a God who desires to walk closely with us even as we walk with him. And as Genesis begins, did God not immediately and frequently walk and talk with Adam and Eve in and among the gardens that he made, looking for them while they tried to hide in their sin? Friends, through Jesus Christ, God is with us, Emmanuel, and we can be with him. Continuing in verses 13 through 15. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you. And I will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. So earlier in Genesis, God had made promises to Jacob's father and grandfather, Isaac and Abraham, respectively. And in this passage, we see God reiterate the promise that he made to Abraham and Isaac unto Jacob that this promise was for Jacob too. God promised Jacob a land of his own, the very land that he had laid his head upon. He had promised Jacob offspring of his own in an innumerable amount, like the dust of the earth coming from every direction. And he promised him a blessing of his own, that every family would be blessed through him. And most incredibly, most incredibly, he made clear that each of those promises would come through a God of his own, a God of his own. 
the one true God who made the heavens and the earth, whom his forefathers knew and worshipped. He would be his God too. Now, Jacob certainly had heard about God through his grandparents and through his parents, but now, in a way that he had not before, he had encountered God personally. He had encountered God personally. And that distinction is crucial because you can know about someone and not actually know them. You can say you believe something but not actually have that belief affect your life. As a for instance, I believe that George Washington was the first president of the United States. But honestly, my life would be no different if I didn't. I could be so bold, and I will be, as to say that I know George Washington was our first president. But in saying that, no one would assume that I actually knew him. And so it is with God. And so it is with God. Friends, God is not after our intellectual assent to his existence or to a certain belief system or a set of doctrines. He is interested in being known personally, trusted implicitly, and loved completely through faith in his Son. Do you remember that the book of James tells us that Satan and his demons believe in God and that they shudder? but we shouldn't expect to see them walking the streets of heaven alongside us. Right? So for the first time that we know of in today's passage, Jacob met God personally. And God made promises unto him personally, not just unto his father or grandfather. And friends, our covenant relationship with God, while certainly communal, and potentially familial is also intensely personal. It is intensely personal. It has been said that God doesn't have grandchildren. Have you heard that before? God doesn't have grandchildren. And what that means is that your faith and my faith is not transferable or credited to others and that the responsibility that mankind has unto God is individual. No one is saved through someone else's faith. Rather, faith in Christ is personally given to the chosen of God by God himself. Now certainly, it is an enormous, enormous blessing to be born into or grow up within a family that loves God and follows Christ. But our eternities with God are not guaranteed because of those things. So parents, train your children up in the love and the knowledge of God and the gospel of His Son, demonstrating what it means to know, love, and trust Him all the while praying that God would ignite the gospel kindling that you have put around them and recognize in and doing all of that that it may take longer than you'd like to see faith appear in them. 
And kids, no matter your age, kids, do not miss the love, mercy, and grace of God on you. If he has surrounded you with the truth of the gospel through the words and the deeds of your family, Instead, explore what it means to love and follow Jesus as they have. So in today's verses, we see the beginnings of the faith that God had ignited in Jacob. But the kindling for that faith was put there by those who loved Jacob and who loved, trusted, and followed God before he did. Does that make sense? And in verses 13 through 15, we see God make several promises to Jacob. I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. And I will not leave until I have done what I have promised you. Both of which really echo Philippians 1.6, which says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He will not leave us. And friends, of of all of God's promises and of all His blessings unto His people, it is this promise that is the greatest. I am with you always. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Because all the clothing, all the food, and the land and protection or family in the world means nothing if God is not with us. Do you believe that? My friends, I I think that we are far too easily satisfied with and glad for the temporal at the expense of who is eternal. As I heard one pastor say it, the worldly items that we so furiously chase and worry over are the stuff of future yard sales and garbage days. My friends, the Word of God and the promises of God and the presence of God alone lasts forever. So let your hope be in Him, not the temporal gifts that He gives you. Because unlike earthly gifts, God's promise to be with His own is everlasting. He has been with us, He will be with us, and He is with us now. Of what else can you say that about? What is better than that? And if it's true, and it is, what do we have to fear? Moving on to verses 16 through 19. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at the first. 
In these verses, my friends, we see in Jacob the excitement and the youth of his faith. Wisely recognizing God's presence, but wrongly assuming that God was only in that one place. Did you hear it? Church, we, we worship, serve, and know an omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent God, that He is all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-present. David in Psalm 139 says to God, where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. My friends, it is in view of this truth that we need to be mindful of our tendency to ascribe unto God a solitary dwelling place or to segregate our own lives between the sacred and the secular. God's in this place, but He doesn't care so much about that. Do you realize that this building, as amazing as it is, that even if it were the most ancient and ornate church in all the world, is not the house of God. This building, or any other building that calls itself a church, is not the house of God, because you and I are. You and I are the house of God. It is within us that He dwells. We have become the temple of God in Christ through the indwelling of His Holy Spirit. That means that you don't need to go to a church building to meet with God or to experience God. He is everywhere. And if you are a Christian, He is already and always in you. It's incredible. Now, do not hear me saying that just because you are the church and you are, we are collectively, that we don't have to go to church. Rather, hear me saying that you ought not see the church as a building, but as a people that God now and forever dwells in, with, and among. And that the reason that we go to church, the reason that we come into a place like this each week, is to join in worship with the body that we are now members of, the family that we eternally belong to, and the building that God is constructing person by person. So, is God in a church building? Is God in nature? Is He in the special place that you go to to meet Him in prayer and solitude? Of course. Yes and amen to all of that. But that's only because those places are a part of everywhere and because you're there. Everywhere is where God says He is. Even as much as He is in you and He is in me if we know Christ. 
finishing up in verses 20 through 22. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. So as we finish up this section, we gather more evidence for what appears to be a relatively young and immature faith on the part of Jacob, in that he attempts to bargain with God through a vow containing an if-then clause. Did you hear it? If you do this, then I'll do that. Have you ever tried to make a bargain or a would-be contract with God before? Maybe you really wanted something, and so you promised God that if He gave you that thing, that you would do something for Him in return, right? Do you know that as a young man, Martin Luther, caught outside in a thunderstorm, told God in that storm that if He had saved him from the storm, that he would become a monk? And God did, so Martin Luther did. For you, maybe it's, I'll go to church if, or I'll stop doing this if, or I'll start doing this if. My friends, are we putting conditions on what God expects, demands, and deserves from us? Are we putting conditions upon Him for those things? Now, if you've been around for this current sermon series, you have heard us mention several times that God established a covenant with His people, beginning, of course, with Abraham, and that a covenant is different than a contract in this way. Contracts say, I'll do this if, whereas covenants say, I'll do this anyway. Man says, I'll love you if. God says, I'll love you anyway. A covenant reflects a one-way kind of love, what the Bible calls agape love or God's love. And early on in Genesis, God established a covenant with Abraham and his descendants, but here, just two generations later, we find Jacob establishing a contract with God with Jacob himself as the sole beneficiary. If you give me everything I want, then I will make you my God and worship you. Heck, I'll even give you some of my money. It's ridiculous, right? As though God needs any of that. Because, my friends, God doesn't bargain and he doesn't compromise with man, even when he appears to. If he did, how could we ever trust that he was sovereign or believe that he has a plan for our eternal good? Now, I think that if God were like you or me, or if he had established a contract with Abraham, 
and Isaac and Jacob rather than a covenant, his relationship with these, his chosen people, would have ended almost immediately after it began. Because neither Abraham or Isaac or Jacob had kept their part of the deal or had been faithful to the one with whom it was established. But because it was a covenant that God established, a one-way promise and a one-way love, Jacob, along with all the rest of God's chosen people, found themselves and find themselves blessed by God, cared for by God, and in the presence of God despite themselves, despite ourselves, because God established a covenant. Because God established a one-way love unto us and said, I will love you and care for you and be with you anyway. Disciples Church, apart from the promises of God, the faithfulness of God, and the love of God, we would have nothing upon which to stand and we would have no hope. Do you understand, my friends, that God does not need us, but that He loves us and that He wants us? And why does He love us and want us? Because according to Deuteronomy 7 and other places, He wants us and loves us. I have chosen you because I have chosen you. I have loved you because I have loved you. I want you because I want you. It has nothing to do with you or me. It has everything to do with him. So, despite Jacob's selfish motivations, God did bless him. And next week, we will see how God, in his grace, humbled Jacob too. In God's grace, his unmerited favor, he set his love and his favor on Jacob just as he has set it on you and me. And because he first loved us, we are now free and capable of honoring, loving, and obeying him. And we honor and love and obey God not as part of an if-then contract. Rather, we honor, love, and obey him because he has been good, loving, and faithful, and he promises to continue to be. So our love for and our worship of God flows out of the fact that he has been those things to us, promises to continue to be those things to us, and that his love and his presence and his care remains on us. And my friends, there is no greater evidence no greater evidence. Look no further for the love of God, covenant love for us and his faithfulness to us and his presence with us than the life and the death and the resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. You will find no clearer example. When God chose us as his people and established a covenant with us, he swore an oath by himself and provided for himself all that was necessary to fulfill and accomplish his promise and keep that covenant. And he did so because he knew that we would never hold up our end of the agreement. He knew we would never hold up to it. But he also knew that he would, that he could, and that he did 
in the cross of Christ. In Jesus Christ, we see God leaving heaven to come to us as a baby, to take upon himself our humanity, to live the perfect life that we could not live, to die the death that we should have died, and to rise again from the dead and give us a life that we could never earn and never lose, so that we could forever and always be with Him. In John chapter 1, the Gospel of John chapter 1, when Jesus called Philip to follow Him, Philip went to tell his friend Nathaniel that he, Andrew, and Peter had found the Messiah. We found Him. Picking up in verse 46 of John 1, we read, Nathanael said to Philip, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? And Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus answered him, because I said I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Does that sound familiar? Friends, in the person of Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, God is always with us. And through faith, we are always with Him. He, Jesus Christ, is the promised descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, through which all nations are blessed. He himself is the ladder that came down from heaven and has gone back up to heaven. And there is no other way unto God than through him. And then, just 13 chapters after Philip and Nathanael had met Jesus. They found themselves on the cusp of Jesus' betrayal, of his betrayal, of his arrest, and his death on a cross. In John 14, beginning in verse 1, we read, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And just days after speaking these words, Jesus rose from the dead, proclaiming victory over sin and death. And then 40 days later, he rose, ascended unto his Father. And in his ascension, through the gift of his Holy Spirit, we are always assured of God's presence, God's power, 
and God's covenantal love for us. My friends, God has extended a ladder unto us from where we are to where He is and where we will one day be through faith in His Son. Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us, His chosen sons and daughters, and He has promised to return again one day to take us to where He is. But until that day, He is with us, blessing us and keeping His covenant with us. And as our final song reminds us, there is no power of hell, no scheme of man that can ever pluck me from His hand until He returns or calls you and I home. Here in the power of Christ, we stand. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, who are we that you should be mindful of us. We have rebelled against you, betrayed you, and lived as treasonous citizens of your kingdom. And yet, in your goodness, grace, love, and mercy, you have come to us in the person of your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, to rescue, redeem, and restore us unto yourself. In Jesus, we have been given the way to God the truth of God and life with God. He himself is the ladder from heaven to earth and from earth to heaven. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you took for us the punishment we deserve and gave to us the very forgiveness, righteousness, and eternal life we do not. You are Emmanuel, God with us, and we praise you. Give us the faith that we need to believe in you, to trust you, and to love you as we ought. Help us move beyond an intellectual acknowledgement of your existence and to know you personally. Then let our hearts be stirred in worship, gladness, and with a deep desire to see you glorified in all we do and in all we say. Father, we ask that you would save the lost among us, strengthen, encourage, and transform those whom you have chosen for yourself according to your good pleasure. In you alone, our hope is found, and in you, we have our true inheritance and true blessing. We love you, Jesus, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen.